Welcome to The Porch. I'm Lindsay Bacardo, keynote speaker and virtual presenter for organizations who want to build strong, multi-generational teams. I believe that the modern day leader has a moral obligation to grow personally and lead others from a grounded and healthy and healed place. You're going to hear me bring on psychologists, neuroscience experts, storytellers, emotional intelligence researchers, really anything that helps a leader grow personally and ultimately impact the culture of their organization. This is where I bring my favorite thought leaders on these topics to teach and mentor us through our own growth. I'm so glad you're here and welcome to The Porch. Today, we've got Brittany Eisenman. Brittany and I are bonding over the chaos of January and mm-hmm. taking care of our families and ourselves. Hey, we're so glad that you made time to be here on the porch with us because we are talking about some of the most important conversations that need to happen in 2022. Yes. And um, you know it. Brittany and I go way back to some presentation, to a presentation, a Sherm presentation in Fort Wayne. Because we both kind of started, we both did a lot of research around generations and we were finding common threads and it's been so fun to watch her continue to serve the world. So if you don't know Brittany yet, look how she spells her name, copy, go over to LinkedIn, paste it, follow her because she posts rad stuff all week, education that we all need. So my friend Brittany uses strategy data analysis, training, and small cohort courses to leverage work engagement for a better tomorrow for all of us. So she understands how to guide organizations through that process. So whether she's in her company, Gen Elevate, and offering employee engagement solutions and training, or she's helping recent I.O. students, if you're an I.O. student, Brittany is your new BFF. She's helping I.O. students and grads and practitioners and psychologists leverage what they've learned to go into the workplace. And I can tell you as somebody who studies generations with Brittany, that this is the future of work, helping humans understand how we operate and working in a compassionate and kind way is the future of work. And so I feel so lucky to have my friend on today. Brittany, thank you for taking the time. This is going to be fantastic. Thanks for the invite. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. Okay. So this was interesting. This was revealed right before everybody came in. And I think it's fascinating. Your work before you got into IO psych was social work. Yep. So you went from social work, like understanding how humans work inside of a system. And you're like, I I'm drawn to IO psych. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about similarities and differences that you see in the two and kind of what brought you through that path? Yes. So I think the strongest uh, skills transfer that I've seen is as a social worker, I learned how to gather the right resources and get them plugged into the right places. And oh my word, as a consultant and working with IO students and grads, I'm seeing how finding the right resources, the ones that are actually being run well, do good things and plugging them into the right places at the right time, that really is needed in both of them. I was in social work for about a decade. Yeah. Um, And I got, I was right under an executive director. He was mentoring me and he came to me and said, Hey, I want you to be the next executive director of this place when I leave, which is like a fantastic thing to hear. I think I was 27, something like that. Yeah. Fantastic to hear. But I like uh, cringed or like crumbled inside. And I was like, Oh, what's going on? Why am I having this reaction? And I realized I feel super trapped in social work. I already felt trapped in my position. I was desperate to go back to school, get a master's degree, but moving up into more leadership felt more restricting in the field. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, okay, maybe it's just like this place. Maybe I just need to go to another one. So then I switched gears and started working with like some, a mental health social work agency and realized, nope, it's just social work. I feel really trapped here. So then I went and looked at, I knew that I really wanted to go back and get my master's degree that it was just inside me burning um i found io psychology realized so much of the tenets of the degree i was already implementing with social work teams i was running and so i was like okay if i have like this much natural ability and i learn all the like methodology and the tools i think i can make this go so that's how i got into io psych 
That is awesome. Now, for somebody that has never heard of IOPsych, obviously we geek out on this stuff, but can you share with our audience and viewers what IOPsych is? Yes. Here's the picture that I'm currently painting to explain IOPsychology. <laughs> <laughs> so it's at the convergence of somebody that has a master's in business and HR and data science. That's the strength of your IO. Awesome. Data science to make work better. So this is such an obvious question, but I want your take on it. What is the role when you think about the future of work? How does IO psych play into that, bringing in somebody with that degree? People with IO psych degrees, either a master's or a doctorate, are taught essentially to kind of sit on top of the organization, almost like a spider. So instead of being settled into one department or another, a lot of times they're put into HR. Instead, the best way to use them is to be overall because we're taught how to measure and find where the interactions between systems and any of your stakeholders are going. So it's going well, or if it's not going well, and if it's not, why? We're taught how to dig to the root of that. So that's why it's best for us to sit like at an executive level on top yeah, of yeah. all your departments. And be able to see over everything, which is how do companies right now that you work with companies and organizations, how do they respond to somebody with a master's in IO psych? How do they respond to them coming in? Because this kind of shakes it up a little bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, my favorite story about this is a company that last year, I think it was about a year ago, they contacted me out of the blue. They'd just been watching me on LinkedIn, liked what I put out there, wanted yep. me to solve X and Y problems with their company. Within me working with them for a couple months, they had gone out and hired their whole own IO to be their employee to take care of like another problem that I wasn't working with. <laughs> so I felt like that was a really positive reaction. I was so excited to get to know that person and kind of collaborate with them and walk alongside them a little bit at the end of that contract. Totally. So do you think like once somebody has an IO, whether they're a full-time employee or they are a consultant, you think once an organization experiences that they see the benefit of bringing together how we understand humans, the data that we have, how we bring that into a company. It sounds like organizations really understand the benefit of having you come in. They can, they can. I mean, it's totally up to leadership, you know, and how much that they the truth? accept because all of IOs essentially change management. So if the leadership's open to that, then they might really be starting to investigate whether to bring in their own IO as an employee. Would you ever want to be in one company or do you like working in several? It's really hard to imagine going back to working for one company. Well, yeah, you're curious critter. You like to kind of <laughs> see what's out there. Yes, I explore all the things. I want to know how everything works and why. Yeah, you sound like Adam Grant. That's like an <laughs> Adam Grant thing. I love it. You know, we've talked a lot about over the years, um, we've talked a lot about generations generations in the workforce mm -hmm. and how the workplace is just naturally evolving. It's not really like millennials' fault, Gen Z's fault. It's not really a generation's fault, but the mm -hmm. workforce is evolving. What do you think some of the factors are that are changing the what we want from work and what companies and organizations need to offer? What are some of those factors that you see beyond just uh, generational titles? that are changing like the culture at work. One aha moment for me was when I realized how the psychological contract has been shattered. So let's, um, I'm gonna take this from a manufacturing point of view. So let's say in manufacturing, the psychological contract, so essentially unsaid, but I believe I'll give you this and I'll get this, that's the psychological contract, was that the employee was willing to give their time, their physical labor, um, you know, some of their brain space to the company and what the company will give them is pay and maybe some benefits and maybe some fun things every once in a while, like a, a family picnic day or something like that. I think it was breaking before the pandemic, but the pandemic obliterated that. Employees are no longer willing to work 40 years, break their back, break their joints, be tired, exhausted, bodies spent, more likely to get sick and end up in the ER just for pay and benefits. They're just, the, that psychological contract is gone. We can't depend on it anymore. And so we're building a new one. I believe we're building a new one and right now just navigating, figuring out what that is. 
That is fascinating. We talk a lot about, and I know you've talked about this too, you know, half of millennials had a side hustle at work anyways, and we're making an extra eight grand outside of their full-time job per year. And so you also have this interesting dynamic where people don't really need a company to make a paycheck. They're the what it takes to get off the ground and have your own Etsy shop or start your own business, that entrance ramp is not very steep. It's easy to get in and be a contractor or do something that you really be a dog walker for a living. You do whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah. And so that power, like you said, over your paycheck just isn't there anymore. That's true. What do you think about uh, this idea of like right and left brain that the future of work is creative and the future of work is collaborative. And we're going to start outsourcing those linear mechanical type of behaviors out. What do you think about that? When you, when you look into the future of work, do you see that? Or do you see like, no, manufacturing is still going to have people doing those jobs. That's (laughs) an overwrite, an overreach. What do you think? I think there are a lot of positions that'll be replaced by robots, um, you know, and for effectiveness. There it is. There it is. McDonald's, a robot's flipping your burger, folks. Mm -hmm. We're here. Yep. Yep. I think a a lot of the capital projects, you know, currently and even going into the future for these companies that use a lot of manual labor will end up being replacing those with some kind of automation. Wow. Yeah, but as somebody that um, wishes I was more creative and ingenious and innovative, you know, I like all the mechanics and the tactical stuff. We talked before this even start, you know, the, the questions that I had thrown at you were so tactical and mechanical. But yeah, the future of work is all about that emotional intelligence and understanding how to work with each other really well. And that's the leadership mastery skill that we need 19-year-olds to be thinking about and orienting around. Oh my gosh. What a great sound clip right there. You just nailed it. But you see this every day in the work that you do. It's not like, it's not just happening here and there. We're this we're really getting pushed into the future of work. And maybe COVID accelerated that a little bit because now we all accept that we are talking through screens and we don't have to always be in person. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting to watch how you and I would talk about generational trends, things that are going to change. And then it seemed like COVID just put gasoline on that fire and accelerated the change. Do you see that from your seat? Yeah, I I think that the pandemic normalized things that even late adapters like me um, would maybe have not really been thinking about. Mm -hmm. Once things get normalized in our lives, it's no longer so much the future that's way out there for our kids. It's more like my tomorrow future is going to look a lot like today looks like. Now you talk about, you know, you were mentioning how important it is for leaders to build their emotional intelligence and be a collaborative force in the workplace. You know, this other concept that you and I have uh, talked a little bit about is psychological safety, because this comes up a lot. I see the lack of psychological safety Mm -hmm. in environments where productivity is like coming to a halt. Mm -hmm. At some point, people started to signal that they weren't feeling safe. And we had a clash of egos and different problems come up. Mm -hmm. What's your take on when we look into the future, this concept of psychological safety, you know, how do you see it from your seat in the IO psych world in terms of productivity at work and happy employees at work? Yeah, I I think none of us or, or none of us leaders could ever say we, my team, my organization has achieved psychological safety because I believe the truth of psychological safety is held in the beliefs of everyone that's involved with your organization. Each person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, that's always going to be changing a bit, but essentially the belief that I can screw up majorly and that I can be honest about anything, that's when we have psychological safety, when my belief is there and then I'm acting on it as well. Yes. Well, and it's interesting too, to see that it can't just come from a CEO saying you are all safe here. These humans don't like take in that message and go, okay, I will not be afraid to mess up. We're like, yeah, that's cool that you said that, but my manager is breathing down my neck or micromanaging me. So whatever is being said at the executive level does not impact me at the local level or at my exact 
you know, spot in the organization. So I love how you said that, how it's really everyone's responsibility. It's not just, you know, one person reading a a safety book and then telling everyone that they are safe here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My, my 2022 theme, at least the beginning of the year here is just, here's the hope. Like all the research that I read, I'm like, okay, where's the hope for someone that's in the trenches right now. And I think with psychological safety, like, let's say you're a lower, lower level supervisor or leader. The hope is that you can create a psychologically safe bubble, you know, in your one-on-ones in your team meetings. And it's okay if everything around you isn't there yet in the organization, but you can create it there. And then there's the organization-wide psychological safety, which has to start at the top. You know, we can have these bubbles, but the top needs to really not just stumble upon psychological safety, but they need to take it on as an initiative. Decide what the skills are for leaders, start demonstrating, practicing, demonstrating, practicing, and then everyone gets on the train. Ooh, I love how you said that. Well, how do you, do you have like um, an illustration or an analogy that you use when you're trying to explain this to people? Like, it's like a garden. You can't just water it. You have to give it sun. Or like, do you have a, do you have a word picture that you use? Because, you know, it's easy to say like, well, it's supposed to come from the top or my leader's on that way. And you're saying it has to come, there has to be a groundswell, a middle swell, and the top has to buy into it and demonstrate it enough that everyone feels safe to start behaving differently. Do you have any analogies that you use or word pictures? We should come up with one. We should come up with one. I'm kind of thinking, I heard of, I read somebody saying something like culture is like a crock pot. You just have to keep, you know, watching it and let it unfold. I don't think that's quite it, but it's, it's close. Ooh, I like, well, it's this idea too, right? That whenever people talk about culture, I always go into organic analogies. Like, Culture is like a tree. Culture is like a garden. Humans are like a tree. We aren't robots. You can't just pull out a computer chip, put a new one in and expect everybody to to act differently. And that's why this is like when you go into an organization, I'm sure you're like setting that expectation. This takes time. We are like nature. We aren't like laptops. We need time to start to wiggle into new ways of behaving. Yeah. Yep. It's all in the wiggle, right? (laughs) It is all in the wiggle. That's exact. And that's a big, you know, when, when problems feel big right now and everybody's putting fires out, this Mm -hmm. is like the long play. This is bringing IO psychology grad in to play the long game. Some things can get fixed right away, but I'm sure it's longer than that. Yes. To that. Yes. Um, if a company wants a really quick turnaround, they might get a bit of improvement, but unless they're willing to let that IO dig down into the root causes, then they're not going to get anywhere, really. I know that when a company comes to me and they say, okay, I have these two problems, I know those are symptoms. I have yet to get into the company and those are the problems. They're the symptoms. And we need to get down to the problem, which I used to tell companies you're probably not going to be surprised by anything I bring to you, but I don't say that anymore because if we dig down deep enough and we get to the root problem, it's, it is often a surprise to all of us involved. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. I know one of the symptoms that people bring to you is retention. Mm-hmm. And then you start digging around and it's not enough to just create an employee value prop or change, like do the, do the picnic or do the bonuses. Yep. Do you see any patterns at all when you start digging down or is it really unique to the company? I don't know if I've seen enough of this to call it a pattern, okay. um, but it is very frustrating to me. It's something that I haven't figured out how I can think about it differently. So it's less frustrating, but when the mindset has become pervasive throughout everyone, top to bottom, that it's only external forces. And as soon as those external things change, yes, things will get better. If I can't get you to move off of that, I can't do anything for you. Nothing. Yeah. So when people are like, we're just short staffed, you're like, it's it's not just that you're short staffed. It's not just that this one external factor. Yeah. People don't want to work or people are being paid to stay home. That's our problem. It's not. <laughs> Still not. <laughs> um, I'm just curious. 
what are some tangible impacts that you see as somebody in the IO psych world? What are some tangible impacts IO psych has on the workplace and on employees' lives? Definitely getting to the root of the root can make a big difference. Yes, yes. Yeah, if a company allows an IO to come in or hires an IO and allows them to do that deep work to get way down there, you're going to see things like lower healthcare costs because people's mental health and physical health is better because they have some belonging. You're going to see fewer people calling out and fewer people bouncing after six months or six days. You're going to see (laughs) more people that are in your company bringing others into the company. And so you don't need to spend as much time and money out there recruiting because you have this gravitational pull and the people that are there and now like being there want other people that they like to work there as well. Those are just some of the Mm -hmm. benefits. There's like boring ones too, like productivity and things like that. Productivity numbers, rise. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like to talk about those because they're boring. (laughs) <laughs> we want to well you know it's really interesting when humans don't feel like they belong it comes out a million ways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we were just talking earlier about um the social nature of humans okay and you really can't separate out a human from their social nature and so if their relationships at work aren't supportive if they feel lonely at work, we know from the Q12 from Gallup, right? That if you don't have any friends at work, you don't have as much emotional tie to it. Mm-hmm. You're more mm-hmm. likely to leave. Mm-hmm. As you've worked, because you've really worked in the space for so long between social work and just studying human nature on that side and then studying human nature in the organizational side. What are some of those threads that you've learned about human nature? Obviously, we're social creatures. Any other threads that you pull all the way through that you saw at the beginning of your social work career and you still see today? I think two that I've seen really validated are value and belonging. Hmm. So I want, as an employee, I want to see that you value me. Now there's different frameworks for measuring this or seeing this around you. So like the five love languages is a really simple one for like, how can you show someone that you value them? You know, like if you, if you don't know where to start with showing your employees how to value them, start reading about the five love languages or ask them for theirs and then just give that back to them a little bit. Like that's a very simple way to do that. And another one is belonging. I just want to belong somewhere. You know, when I was in social work, um, I would work with kids that were extremely traumatized. Many had seen more, more things before they were six years old than any of us will see in a lifetime. And so many of those kids love horror stories and really scary movies because there's a bit of belonging in that you know like i've had really scary moments months in my life you know so we're all looking for like where we belong and that that looks all kinds of different ways but at Mm -hmm. work the data is still coming out that employees want to see that you value them as a manager that you value them as a company you value them and they want to believe that they belong there how do I know I belong at XYZ company? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's so interesting as you're talking because there are there are tips in like the five love languages, not super scientific, kind of like an interesting, like, you know, happens yep. to work. Yep. On some level, I'm sure it's like you could reverse engineer it and say it was scientific, but there's this real, it sounds like when you're working in an organization, it takes effort, focus, concentration to look outside yourself and create those moments where other people feel like they belong. There's something in us that doesn't naturally always do that. Maybe when we're under stress, we don't naturally do that, but it sounds like that's something you help. Do you help organizations when they're like thinking, how do we, we know we have a belonging problem, but we don't even know where to start. Do you help them kind of practically come up with a roadmap for that? I have yet to have an organization approach me with that request. (laughs) When I've been working with a company for a little while, we can get down into the more fun problems like that. Maybe I shouldn't call them the fun problems. Does that make me a psychopath? But the more (laughs) nuanced (laughs) problems of belonging and then figuring that. And some of it comes along the way when dealing with other issues too. Like some of that will naturally come up because it doesn't just have to be the leader that's showing belonging. You know, like all of this responsibility does not lie in the leaders. We can show belonging to each other. The lowest paid newest employee 
can help anyone else in the company feel more belonging. Oh, that's good. Well, is this is interesting because there's kind of this theme about, yes, we need incredible, emotionally intelligent leaders and everyone can learn some emotional intelligence skills that benefit everyone. It's not just the leader. It's about all of us creating that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for some of us, it comes so naturally. And I'm so jealous of people that like, they've just always been in the heart space and that comes to them and they've always been able to do it. Or like me, I'm so like, I guess you call it left brain or whatever, but like, I'm so task oriented that I have to really like read all the books, think about it, practice implementing, apologizing for my failures. Implementing, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, everyone can learn how to do it. Well, that's what I think is so cool, though, too, is because just because um, you're people oriented doesn't actually mean that you're good at creating safety. And just because you are task, you know, you're task oriented, you're facts oriented, that can be really helpful in a situation where you're trying to get to the root of what's going on. You're really not like you, you're just going to find the data and find the truth in the midst of everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty rad. OK, we have people who have questions for you. Do you okay. want some? Okay. You ready for this? Sure. Uh, are you a cat or a dog person? Oh, that's my um, question. That's not not my <laughs> Um, she's I, trying to I include have, every every being, every creature. All the creatures. I have a dog. I think my soul is probably actually a cat. So I don't know what that makes me. I get it. I totally get it. You just, I get it. I totally understand. I'm more. I love dogs. I love cats too, but I'm definitely a dog in stuck in a human body. So, uh, okay. How about this question? This is good. This is from Amy. What do you think the relationship between the psychological contract and psychological safety is? Do you think psychological safety should be the new contract and brought up at the onboarding of a new employee? Would that change the org's culture? Wow. That's a big one, Brett. I think psychological safety is what a company needs to give and the employee needs to receive. But I mean, like, of course, the employee is participating and and part of giving it back to other employees, too. But I think psychological safety would be the side of the company saying this is what we have to offer you. A safe place to grow, to yeah. not be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And less about, I don't think it is the contact itself because an employee is not going to come to a company and say, I'm offering psychological safety to you. Yes. They're going to, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Thanks for that, Amy. Yeah. It's a good, when you think about that psychological contract in the future, it's not, like you said, it's not an exchange 40 years of life for cash that we're not doing that game anymore. Yeah. yeah. What, I personally am wondering if there are going to be multiple bottom lines on each side right now. It was a singular money, effort, time, money, you know, money for effort and time. Basically that was the exchange. I, it seems like from the outside that it's now multiple line. I call multiple bottom lines for everybody involved. Do you have a hunch? I know it's early. We broke the first contract, but I know it's early to (laughs) figure out what the next contract between workers and, you know, employees and employers are, do you have any hunches? I do. I'm going to say this. And then I don't want to follow this rabbit trail too far down there. I won't, I won't, I promise. But I think it matters where healthcare goes because we have full-time jobs for healthcare. Brilliant. If that that need goes away, then we're going to be building a whole different psychological contract than if that, if it stays the way it is now. Brilliant. This is a constant conversation and it's a big piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. and we will not go down this rabbit trail, even though it is very juicy. <laughs> oh, um, okay. I've got a couple other pieces. Oh, let me, I'm going to see what else people are saying. Who else has a question for Britt? Because she lives in this world. She's freaking brilliant. If you haven't followed her yet, Sam, can you grab her LinkedIn handle and put it, or just her, you know, her profile page and put it in the chat so everybody can follow Britt. Um, This is such, you know, one thing I've learned over the last decade of doing work in and around this is that this is, these are nuanced conversations. There is no one 
size fits all answer. And we're mm-hmm. in the middle of a huge revolution, a leadership revolution, you got to lead differently mm-hmm. and a technological revolution. We aren't working analog like we used to. So we live in this kind of tumultuous state and you're like studying the train as it's going down the tracks. Uh-huh. Do you enjoy that? Is it um, energizing to you when you kind of zoom out and look at what you're creating? How does it, how do you think about it? Yeah, I love zooming out and looking at the big picture view. I'm very good at overcomplicating things. So I like kind of just zooming out and like, okay, where are the actual patterns? Mm -hmm. What's actually going on? I have this, um, so like with Clifton Strengths, futurism is one of my top strengths. Ooh, I can see that. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm a late adapter. Like I had an iPhone 6 till like last year, something like that. Real confessions here. I love it. (laughs) Deep, dirty stuff. Yeah, so I have this um, duality, I guess, in me that I'm like, okay, what's at the edge? What's at the edge? What's at the edge? Like, where are we going next? Who's laying the track for this train? And, you know, where is it headed? At the other end, I'm like, I'm not going to be the first one to implement anything. And I truly believe at the core of me, any company I work with, it is not about you figuring out what the newest, brightest, sparkly thing is or what your best competitor is doing. That's not where it is. You know, you come try to implement that in your company and it might work, but what will always work is figuring out what's going on all the way deep down at the bottom of your wells with you solving the things that shouldn't be there, bubbling up the awesome stuff that nobody gets to see outside of your organization, and then building your systems, plans, and initiatives out of that. Brilliant. Brilliant. And so that's why you can't just copy. You can't read a book about how Google did it. And then say, we're going to do it like Google did it. That, that's like, yeah. you're a willow tree. That's an oak tree. Totally different needs. That doesn't work yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah. I just had an IO who's interested in becoming an IO consultant ask me. I just answered this today. I think she, she asked it today as well. She said, you know, how do I become a consultant? Essentially, like, what should I read? What programs should I get a certificate in? Did it, did it, did it? And, and my answer was pretty bold. I probably need to go back and apologize to her. For the <laughs> like, no, I, I was like, you just need to figure out you. And then like all the mechanics of being a consultant, you'll figure out, but you learned all this stuff in school. You just need to figure out who am I? What do I have to offer? And then who needs that thing? And then all the mechanics you can figure out. But like the first step doesn't need to be like, where do I get a certificate from? Because you're right. You can't just go to Google and figure out, okay, OKRs worked really well for them. That's how they got big. I'm going to use OKRs. You know, you, you yep. just, it's not always going to work that way. That's so interesting because there's real power in self-awareness if you're in the IO space. And the other thing I hear you saying over and over again is you have been trained how to listen. Mm. You've been trained how to listen and gather information and apply it to a structure. I don't know that my family would agree with that, but yes. Put your kids on the Zoom. I want to talk to them for a minute. Yeah. But there is like this real, I think the future of work so much has to do with listening and maybe slowing down the way that we think things have to happen or looking, like you said, at the the problems that are symptomatic of a much deeper a much deeper rabbit hole. Yeah. Ask great questions. Take out your bias when you're listening to what they're answering and follow those trails. Yes. So you're on this mission now, which I think is so cool. And if you're on our, if you're on Brittany's LinkedIn page, you're going to see it where she is connecting companies that need IO psych professionals to recent grads, which is brilliant. It's like you're a recruiter for this very niche group where organizations need it and you know the right folks. What I'm trying you- to get there, oh, yeah. Yeah, what made you want to be the bridge? Um, you know, it has evolved over the last couple of years. At first I thought, you know, I'm just there for IOs. It's so hard to land a job as an IO grad. What are our problems? Let's solve our problems. 
And then I, um, I started talking to IOs that have been in this for like 20 plus years. You know, they yeah. do get out their whole career. Some of them are a little grizzled, burnt around the edges, you know, been an IO for forever. They had no structure for how to get into the workplace. And so I had this big idea. I was going to build this online university where you could test in as an IO, like a student or a grad, and get placed in your cohort and learn the skills that you needed to learn to be marketable. But then as I'm talking to these people who have been in it for forever, two things came up. One, it's they already have school. It's they just need to be able to practice it, like get yes. in and practice it. You know, you can get all the perfect skills and even have been able to practice them a little bit. But the second thing is the demand. And so there's this debate inside our IO community. Some say the demand's there. Just go chase it. It's, you know, it's not in the job titles, but it's in the content of the job. It's there. Just go get it. Go land in your job. And there's this other side that says, no, nobody understands what IOs are and what they do. And I think there's truth to both of them. But I'm like, okay, I could do something about companies not understanding what IO is. Yes. We do have a branding problem. We have a pretty big branding. <laughs> it takes five minutes to say our title. It sounds really important and pretentious, but really it's just a super fun degree to get. <laughs> and they don't know how where to plug us in. So a lot of the content I put out on LinkedIn is all about like one world is an IO psychologist. And yes, what's the ROI and where do they work? You know, what positions and what's the benefit of having them with you? So yes, I'm creating this awareness, hopefully, which will lead to then demand for yes. IOs as consultants or employees, however is appropriate. But then at the same time, making sure IOs that come out from graduate schools where there wasn't really any structure or any safe place to land while you're trying to find your first job or land in that third IO job, it's actually where I belong, mm -hmm. that there's a structure for those people too. Yeah. I love that. Well, it's so important because we saw this coming when we study generations you're really studying the history and the future predictions of work or consumerism and marketing or whatever it is mm -hmm. and so we saw this coming Britt, we were doing presentations on millennials in the workplace where we would talk about leadership needs emotional intelligence employees want to be a part of the solution they don't want to just be told what to do they want some autonomy they want yes. real relationships and connection at work and IO Psych is creating a space for us to, you know, there, it's a real science. It's no longer just, let me try and convince you of this. It's the science, like you said, on the return on investment of creating spaces where people really want to be. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it that's everybody. Exactly. Exactly. This is so fascinating. Okay. If you have another question, this is your chance to ask a real IO Psych professional I, I could go down. Britt and I, I love talking to you. You know so much cool stuff. You think so concretely. Um, we're like yin and yang. I love it. And if you want to continue to learn about how to bring the science of psychology into the workplace, follow Britt and keep learning from her because I'm telling you, this is not going away. If I were to get a graduate degree in anything, it would be something along these lines because we know this is the future of work. We've got to study how people actually will like to work and like to be connected to each other and then create environments where that can happen. Kind of wild, actually very simple, but we made it very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so any other questions? Oh, here's another question. Okay. Amy's got another question. Do you think one of the problems with IOs not getting consulting jobs is leadership lack of listening to employees that see a problem? No. Ooh. Um, I think if you want to be an IO consultant, the only barriers to that is yourself. Um, and it's kind of your job to find the problems that leaders aren't seeing and tell them about those and how you can solve them. So your first step of your sales process is that discovery is the discovery of like, here are the problems underneath the problems that aren't just going to go away. I think, yeah, get, yeah, to get that contract, you need to be able to show them how, like, this is what we're seeing without being able to dig all the way in. And here's some solutions that might work. Yep. Yeah. Sell them that you're the one that can solve it for them. Um, I don't, there aren't a lot of companies out there looking for consultants. It's more like you need to go and kind of show your salt what you're worth. 
You know, this is a very interesting attitude shift that you're talking about. Uh oh. Okay. In a fantastic way. Okay. It's what you already do. It's what you model for everyone else is to go out and talk about your value, but to not feel like leaders don't really want this, but to say like, you actually could really benefit from this. Let me show you what this is. And it's interesting because when I have conversations around therapists and coaches, we get in this same wiggle because therapy, you're not supposed to go out and find clients like you look unstable. Let me help you create some, <laughs> some, uh, you know, stability in your own life and help you out of your problems. Like therapists <laughs> aren't supposed to do that. Now life coaches can come and say, Hey, if I give you these three tips on how to be productive, it's going to blow your mind. The first one is you're way too hard on yourself. <laughs> I am too hard on myself. <laughs> like these are very, but the difference is how you talk about the benefit of those services. And as an IO psych person, you really, it's almost like you got to move out of the that like people aren't going to come to you. You need to go to them and show them the benefit of what it means to bring somebody with an Iowa psych degree in. Yeah. And, and I'm still learning that myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay. I got another question for you here too. Okay. Okay. When people, uh, one of my friends, Amber wants to do a book club to okay. help each other grow. Yes their office wants to do one. Is there a book you'd recommend for their office to do together in a book club that kind of relates to what we're talking about? Any that you kind of hand out like candy? Uh, does she mind telling me like what level of professionals these are or if it's just yeah. everybody? I think, I, uh, let me, Amber, will you remind us? I think I know like the field that you work in. I think she works with um, caring for like aging parents caring for our, um, the greatest generation <laughs> taking care of them. But Amber, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. I don't think it's like nursing home care, but it's something similar to that. And then the level of people, like, like you said, what layer in the org they'd be coming mm-hmm. from. Amy brought up boundaries for leaders, Henry cloud. Oh, it's a great one. Senior care, that was the word. I don't know why I couldn't think of senior care. What the heck is wrong with me? Senior care at a director level, but a majority of the team is admin. Okay. I got um, a book too. Yeah. I've got to find my book. I just had it here. Maybe a future search. Yes. Future search. What about, um? oh gosh, I'm looking at piles of books trying to find a specific one. Oh, reinventing organizations. Yes. That could be fun to go through. I think you've done that. I'm sure that you've read this at some point. But this is a thicky. This is thick. It's kind of textbooky, but you can get the, there's actually like a cartoon one that you can get that, that I like better. Um, which one did you say? What did you just say? I think future search could be a fun one to do. Future search. Fantastic. You'd be able to see people's point of view, points of view, I think, would come out while you're reading that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Do you, um, any, anything else, Brittany, that people can be doing right now, if they're not ready to bring in an IO psych professional, Mm -hmm. but they do want to kind of start to understand this world. And they came to the porch today to hear from you, anything else that they could start doing today to help become Mm -hmm. more aware of their culture and grow closer together? When I talk to companies about employee engagement, when I'm in the room with executives, you know, they're deciding whether they're going to bring me on. I like to talk about two parts of employee engagement that we can think about. So one is the willingness to get behind the company's mission and pull forward with everyone else. And the other one is the ability to get behind the company's mission and pull forward with everyone else. So if you have a willingness issue, which you're going to have a little bit of both, but if you're interested in moving the needle on willingness, then doing the fun stuff like food truck Fridays and family picnics and, you know, whatever creative people that are very unlike me come up with, but your ideas are kind of like sweetening the pot. And so they're more interested and um, willing, essentially. And then there's this other side, which is ability, which is kind of the heavy, serious stuff. So, you know, this can be like disability, making sure you're removing all the barriers. It can include DEI. It can include all of the issues that you have kind of simmering under the surface that people may or may not know about and really tackling those. 
it might not be the uh, shiny work where everybody is smiling and all of your external stakeholders are aware as well that you're moving and shaking, but you're truly solving the thing so that people are able to connect with you at work in your mission and pull forward. So thinking through those two things, you know, you can go at it either way, um, but really the ability of people to get there is really where you can make a true difference. And that includes asking the right questions, listening, and then making decisions. It doesn't have to be overnight. People will trust you and appreciate you if you say, okay, I think in six months we can get here based on what you guys told me, and then update them a little bit. Hey, we're not there yet, but these are the steps that we took based on your feedback mm-hmm. on our way to this place where we said we'd get. I love that. I love that. So when you think about this year, Brittany, as we're kind of looking out over the year together with your futurist lens on, <laughs> what would you want leaders to know on this call? What would you want organizations to know that would help them kind of think about this year? Like to, I tell people like, this is the year of listening. This is the year of paying attention to where people are at, not where we wish they were. This, you know, from your seat, in all the research that you do, what would you say, what would you want leaders to hear you say? Employees and your potential employees are sifting themselves based on their values and how that matches with the values that you're demonstrating, not just the list that you have on your website. They're gonna be able to tell in the interview process, the hiring process, when you're saying things and then that's not demonstrated. It's less about being perfect. They know nobody's expecting to walk into a perfect workplace where it's exactly what they wanted every day, but you build trust when you're honest about where you are. And that might involve going back to your values and seeing, okay, are these actually our values? Is this what we live out every day? Yes or no? Because if what you're doing, what you're saying are misaligned, then you're not going to have a lot of people coming in and staying. Brilliant. That's brilliant. It felt a little complicated. Well, that's why it makes sense. What's that? It felt a little complicated. You were like, the year of listening. I can't say like the year of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, you're right. I mean, it's almost like the year of integrity. Like if your words don't match your actions, you know, mm-hmm. humans know that. That doesn't take a lot of convincing for somebody to go, you say you value family, but everybody has to work extra hours here. It doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I have two more questions for you. Okay. And then if anybody else's question is your last chance to get in with Brent's. Um, so Adam Grant recently posted this concept that, and maybe you spoke to this, but um, organizations are not families. Please don't use the term family when you talk about your team, your company, your organization, because families are dysfunctional. They're the Wild West. There are no written rules and everybody's family is different. Did you happen to see him post and talk about that? I saw his posts. Yeah. How does that hit you from an IO psych perspective? What do you think about that? Yeah. I I think if you say we are a family, you are going to creep out all of your potential employees that are under the age of like 45. Um, (laughs) That's very scientific. Everybody write that down. You're right. Yeah. I, I think, um, if it's true, you're not saying it. And even if you are like owned by a family, you're a small business and like you literally are run by a family that is much different than saying we are like a family as a whole organization. Hmm. So what do you think, how should organizations speak of themselves? Would you say is a village closer, a community, a we are just a team of people pulling in the same direction? What would you say? Can you think of what you would use? Uh, I think they need to say something along the lines of, this is a place you can grow and here's how you can grow here. And here's three of our employees who've been here five years and here's how they grew. That's brilliant. I should hire you for my company of just me and my dogs. (laughs) Come do some analysis. (laughs) This is fantastic though, because, you know, this concept of how do we even think about ourselves? We're in a new psychological contract. We're moving into a new era of work. And I cannot think of a better time to bring someone like you or one of your um, IO psych professional 
teammates, I cannot think of a better year to bring you in and to be having these conversations to your point that need to be happening inside of an organization based on their own values and their own, not just broad strokes, but how do we actually make a difference right here, right now? I think that's, this is the year. This is the year of IO Psych. Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. One more question. I, I let people give one, one more question in the chat and then okay. we'll let everybody head out from the porch. Thank you for being here, Britt. It's always awesome to see you and learn from you. Okay. One more question. Do you think entitlement is something you can grow in an employee culture if you're not careful? Do you think entitlement sometimes happens in an effort maybe to encourage or to create safety even maybe? Uh, well, this is a prickly one. Um, I'm trying real hard to remove my own bias and lens in answering this. About the concept of entitlement and how people mm -hmm. think about it? Yeah, I, I think that as leaders, we need to be super careful that when people ask for things, we don't assume that they are spoiled and entitled, especially if they are making less than us. Um, it's getting hot in here, folks. Are we listening to this part? <laughs> yeah, it's going to get chopped up and put on LinkedIn. If you're treating your people well, I don't think they're going to be entitled. I think you're just treating them well. And if you're not, they're going to ask you to treat them well. I'd be shocked if there's any company that where the employees aren't already asking to be treated well after the this pandemic. Oh my gosh. Brilliant. Brilliant. I know that everybody's listening today, Britt, you brought up so many great points. There's so many things to be thinking about as we head off the porch today. And I know this is a conversation I'm going to be running in my head a couple of times going, hmm, there's a lot of nuance here. There's a lot of layers here. And so as you're processing this in your organization, this is your chance to bring in somebody who has this outside lens who can speak clearly to your organization and to what's happening. And so I'd encourage you to reach out to Brittany, start a conversation. I'm so grateful to be in your world, Brittany, and to learn from you and to just see how you continue to evolve and serve other people. I know that's your heart to help everyone have a better experience at work. So mm -hmm. thank you for spending time with us today for challenging our thoughts about all different things like entitlement <laughs> and the concept <laughs> of family at work mm -hmm. and you know how we treat each other and what psychological safety looks like. I just appreciate your perspective and, and your brilliant mind around all of this. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for leading the conversation in very fun ways. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody. You know where to find us. I know that um, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. This is going to continue to evolve this year. So jump in. We cannot wait to see you on LinkedIn, to see you in all these other places. Follow Brittany. You'll learn a ton. Thanks everybody. Have a great rest of your night.